Welcome to the UM's Connected Podcast, a resource offering spiritual formation in the Wesleyan tradition through a metaverse community. I'm your host, Steve Harper. Well, I never know when people are listening to a podcast for the first time or maybe recently. I just want to remind you that these opening uh, three-phase series, uh, pretty much in July, August, and September of 2022, are a foundational series. They're intentionally designed this way. Uh, We're launching the podcast with a look at uh, what I call the formational flow of the early Wesleyan movement. It's a flow that began with Connecting, that's the first series. That was the belonging phase. Um, Unlike some movements uh, of the 18th century and movements prior to and since, Wesley didn't start with doctrinal affirmation. He started with the formation of community because he saw in the gospel through Jesus' relationship with his apostles and the early Christians' relationships with the world that People believe once they belong. If you belong to a fellowship, uh, you you enter into relationships rather than regulations. You you begin with a sense of community uh, that instills confidence. You, You say, these are good people, and more than that, from an evangelistic point of view, you say, I want to be like that. Uh, And so we look at Methodism and we see that it begins with belonging. Just having a desire for God was the was the one entrance requirement into the Methodist movement. Uh, You could be a person of a fixed denominational uh, affiliation or you could be simply a seeker. It didn't matter. Uh, Wesley called it fleeing the wrath to come. But of course, his emphasis was on not where you're coming from, but where you're going. So we could put it this way. We belong first because we want to be in a community of people who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. So if you go back and listen to the first round of podcast episodes, you'll see that idea of belonging. Uh, It's the theme of connection. And we showed how that was an important word in early Methodism and how it's an intention for the UM's Connected movement today. Then we've been in a series on believing. Uh, you don't enter a community uh, that has nothing but, but, but blank pages in its textbook. Uh, like every community, ancient and modern, there are beliefs. And Wesley uh, reflected many of those beliefs from his own uh, theological tradition, but he also uh, worked with those. Uh, differentiating between doctrines and opinions, differentiating between uh, creeds and interpretation of creeds. Wesley had beliefs, and uh, we looked at those. In fact, we're in the series now on believing, and today's the last one of those programs. We'll turn next week to behaving. Because if you belong to a community that's uh, authentically Christian, if you believe the faith, then you'll want to live it out. So the third round of these foundational podcasts will be on living the faith. But today, we come to the last in our series on believing. 
we have been focusing on part three of the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church, the latest edition being 2016. Uh, on the Facebook page, we have created a link where you can get a free copy of that Book of Discipline, and we encouraged you to do it if you've been following along in the series. But even now, it's not too late. If you're going to go back and listen to these, uh, it would be great for you to have a copy of the Book of Discipline in your hand because it says a lot more than we're able to say uh, in these podcast episodes. Paragraph 105 is where we're ending because that's the, the end of part three. But the, the last part of paragraph 105 really makes the point that if theology the kind of which has been described in paragraphs 103 and 104 and part of 105. If if that kind of theology is held with commitment and expressed with conviction, it will inevitably face challenges. So, uh, beginning on page 88, paragraph 105, the Book of Discipline talks about the challenges that this kind of what I would call serious theology, the kind of opposition that it faces. Um, As I have gone through the book of discipline, paragraph uh, 103, 4, and 5, part 3, the doctrinal standards, I've been so impressed at how it is in and of itself a Wesleyan document. Uh, I've already uh, uh, spoken to this, but on this last episode, I just want to remind you of it. it. It unfolds the very way that the theological task unfolded for early Methodism, first in a, in a larger context of ecumenism with a, with a rich theological heritage, but then with specific beliefs that now uh, become lived, uh, but not without challenge. So uh, uh, part three of the Book of Discipline ends really where uh, the Methodists uh, came to as they sought to be faithful to Christ in their day. Simply put, they were opposed. Part three of the Book of Discipline recognizes the oppositions, the challenges that any faithful community undergoes. And so that's what we want to focus on today. We see this in the biblical revelation, don't we? Where uh, Jesus sums it up. They persecuted the prophets Uh, People don't like to have their status quos challenged and their sacred cows slaughtered. Um, The Gospel of John, which I happen to be reading now in my uh, daily office uh, that I'm keeping, is uh, I was in John 5 just a couple of hours ago, and um, they sought to kill Jesus just like they had uh, killed the prophets because he was upsetting their apple cart. And people don't like that. Uh, People will get rid of you when you don't sell your soul to the company store. And so Jesus sums it up by saying uh, in the Old Testament, they persecuted the prophets. We see it, of course, in the New Testament in Jesus, as I just said, but also that early apostolic community and then flowing out into the early Christians themselves, summarized in Hebrews chapter 11, that that story of uh, the consequences of our convictions leading uh, in cases to martyrdom. Now, the Wesleys were, were not unfamiliar with this history because they had looked 
at primitive Christianity. They had looked at the desert mothers and fathers who had 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 to flee, be silent, and pray in the desert. Uh, part of that because they were challenged and opposed by the status quo people back in the cities. Uh, the Wesleys saw it in the monastic movement, which was an expression of that primitive desert Christianity. Uh, communities which intentionally um, formed in order uh, to, to live the faith uh, without the encumbrances of those oppositions, which is a soul-wearing, uh, draining kind of experience, I assure you. Um, the Wesleys knew this heritage. And so I'm thinking, as a Wesleyan scholar, that they didn't begin the Methodist movement naively. Um, they, they were aware of the consequences that they were going to face in the society and even in the church uh, by the kind of movement they were going to try to create. So uh, let's just look briefly at uh, the challenges that the Wesleys faced, and then we'll move into the Book of Discipline to think about the theological challenges uh, that we face today. Um, there have been some good books written about uh, opposition to Methodism. There's an article uh, written by John Walsh uh, that Cambridge University published called Methodism and the Mob in the 18th Century. Uh, that's a good summary article uh, that you can, you can find the extract of it online and you can purchase it if you want to have the whole thing. But it describes uh, the challenges that uh, the Wesleys and the early Methodists faced and reading through it, I decided to, to just use three as illustrations in today's episode. The first is the Wesley's faced caricature. Um, some people just can't stand the truth, so they caricature it. And the Wesley's and Methodism were caricatured. In fact, the word Methodist was uh, was not a compliment in the beginning, but Wesley kind of looked at it, winked a little bit, blinked, and said, I, that's not such a bad word. I think we'll go with it. Uh, sometimes the, the, the challengers don't realize they're giving away the farm by the way they describe people. Uh, you end up uh, criticizing people in a way that, that makes others want to be part of them. <laughs> I'd like to be part of a group like that who uh, believes in love. I'd like to be a part of a group that's inclusive. You know, all those things that are sometimes used as criticisms, they become magnets. And Wesley was was uh, was wise in that regard. So he even chose a word that didn't start out as a compliment. Um, but here's the interesting thing. He experienced, the, the Methodist experienced, the caricature from the far right and the far left. Now, from the, uh, from the far right, they were sometimes lumped in with the latitudinarian movement, which uh, had begun uh, maybe a little less than a century before in England. Uh, these would have been the progressives of uh, Wesley's day. And uh, they used the word latitudinarian as a critique, and even Wesley says Methodists are not speculative latitudinarians. He put that word speculative in front, and we don't have a chance to unpack that in this episode, which means he only embraced that, uh, that critique to a point. And the critique was, as my friend Dr. Paul Chilcote has pointed out, was his willingness to synthesize things which other 
Christians had held in oppositions. Uh, that word and, what Paul calls conjunctive theology in his book, Recapturing the Wesley's Vision, which, by the way, we're going to uh, uh, unpack further in resources here at UM's Connected. But for today, um, that, that feeling that Wesley was, was blending and harmonizing and synthesizing uh, elements of theology that other people had seen as, as in opposition to one another. Wesley could, could see connections that other people could not see, uh, so they called him a latitudinarian, which he says, I'm not of the sort uh, that you're uh, calling me. But the, then, then, then there were the progressives uh, who called him an enthusiast. Uh, that uh, that uh, he had just, you know, he'd given up, or, or rather I should say, that he, the, the, the folks in the church and society who said he had just been given over to fanaticism. And Wesley said no. He, he summed it up, actually, by saying to his critics, I'm a Church of England man. And I think it's one reason that he kept Methodism as a movement within the church rather than a separate denomination. But that's a topic for another time as well. The first thing I want you to see today is the Wesleys were familiar with challenges through caricature. They were also familiar with challenges through ostracism. They paid a price for their commitments. Uh, this article that John Walsh wrote shows that some of them lost their jobs. Uh, some of them were estranged from their family members. Uh, they, some of them were put out of their church communities. Uh, if you're going to go to those Methodist class meetings, you don't need to come back here anymore, was kind of the, the attitude. They, they understood what it was to be ostracized uh, for their convictions. And then, as Waltz points out, uh, in some of the other materials, uh, the journals, uh, the lives of the early Methodist leaders point out, sometimes there was actually tangible harm done. Um, some of their homes were burned. Uh, their meeting places were desecrated. And once in a while, people were actually uh, harmed physically. And there are a few accounts in early Methodism of actual people who were, who were killed because they had become part of the Methodist movement. So here's the point, and I said it at the beginning. Theolo uh, theology held with commitment and expressed with conviction inevitably faces challenges. Now, part three of the Book of Discipline recognizes this and ends here on pages um, 88 to 91 by talking about some of those challenges that uh, the contemporary United Methodist Church faced at least up to 2016 when the last edition of the Book of Discipline came out. Uh, it summarizes in some, some sections. The first was the challenge of great human struggle. This is why I want you to have a copy of the Book of Discipline uh, to refer to because it goes into some detail about what some of these struggles are. And it, it points really to the reason of why uh, along with the Book of Discipline or uh, we have social principles and we have book, our, our Book of Resolutions. Um, we understand that holiness is social holiness and that one of the great biblical words is justice, see, the common good fairness, inclusion, uh, and there are great human struggles going on, the Book of Discipline points out, uh, that, would, uh, 
that would oppose justice, that would oppose the hesed of God, the shalom of God uh, from taking root in the world. So the Book of Discipline mentions some of those human struggles, including ecological struggles uh, as well. Then the, the, the second struggle that the Book of Discipline points to is the uh, challenge of consensus and how much easier it is to uh, divide and denigrate and demean than it is to say, what is it that we hold together in common and can move forward together in faith, consensus. And I was thinking as I got ready for this episode, my, if the 2016 Book of Discipline continued that challenge, uh, how much more we would be speaking about it uh, in a new Book of Discipline today, perhaps even with additional paragraphs in this section. Consensus seems almost impossible to achieve nowadays, doesn't it? Both in the society and in the church. And then uh, the Book of Discipline, paragraph 105, talks about the challenge of ecumenism and interfaith community. Now, you'll remember that part three of the Book of Discipline begins with that uh, commonality, common things we hold with other Christians, common things we hold with all people of goodwill. So here we are at the end of part three, coming back to this, but this time seeing it as a challenge um, and how difficult it is. Um, the uh, last paragraph kind of sums it up on page 90. We labor together with the help of God toward the salvation, health, and peace of all people in respectful conversations and in practical cooperation. We confess our Christian faith and strive to display the manner in which Jesus Christ is the life and hope of the world. And then it comes to the very last section at the end of paragraph 105 with a paragraph that's a bit long but well worth reading. In this spirit, that is the spirit of the whole part three, the whole section, in the spirit we take up our theological task. We endeavor through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand the love of God given in Christ Jesus. We seek to spread this love abroad as we see more clearly who we have been, as we understand more fully the needs of the world, as we draw more effectively upon our theological heritage, we will become better equipped to fulfill our calling as the people of God. Wow, there's a hearty amen that's not printed in the book of discipline, but arises in the heart of any of us who read these statements and understand how orthodox and rich our theological heritage is. So now I just want to spend a couple of minutes on asking, so what's been going on since 2016 with respect to the challenges? I would mention three. The first is caricature. The United Methodist Church is being caricatured by people who somehow have the notion that they can only look good by making other people look bad. The Wesleys understood caricature, and we must understand the emerging of the United Methodist Church to be taking place in an environment that is caricatured. That's why I've spent five podcast episodes in part three of the Book of Discipline. 
If you want to know who we are, come here. Don't listen to the rumors. Don't listen to the misinformation. Read and study book three, part three of the book of discipline, and then make up your own mind. Do you want to be part of a church like this? Many of us are saying absolutely. Many of us are saying you don't have to leave the United Methodist Church to be Christian, to be Orthodox, or to be Wesleyan. And we're willing to bear the brunt of caricature. Another challenge that we're facing is outright division. We're going through it. Uh, In fact, some of the people who are dividing can't even decide how to divide. Some of them want to go one way. Some of them want to go another. Some want to start new churches. Some want to identify with established denominations. Division is a time of confusion, and we just need to recognize it as such. We just need to understand that when you decide to disconnect, (laughs) you're left inevitably with the question, so then to what shall we connect? What will we join? Who will we become part of? Division is a very chaotic time, even for the people who are the dividing ones. And that leads me, thirdly, to to the big challenge for those of us who've chosen to remain in the United Methodist Church. It's a time of recovery. We've got to recover our inward life because a lot of these caricatures and misinformation has confused even those of us uh, who want to remain United Methodists. We've got to sort out wheat from chaff. Uh, The future of the United Methodist Church includes a re-education process, a re-rooting of ourselves in the kinds of things we've been talking about for the last month. It's also a recovery and outward witness deeply troubled. I've spoken on numerous occasions to folks about how many years it's going to take to restore uh, the right perspective uh, because of the bad witness that we've been giving uh, for at least the last decade and probably even longer than that. A recovery of inward life and outward witness. And then we also have the recovery of a reignition of the emergence of a new United Methodist Church. Um, That's going to take um, separate and sustained effort. So here we are in 2022, just like the First Methodist, experiencing caricature, misinformation, untruth, experiencing divisions and the chaos that goes along with it, but ending, as the Book of Discipline does, with the hope that when we take up our theological task in the spirit of part three of the book of discipline, we will recover. We will recover our authenticity and the new United Methodist Church will live into the vision that God wants us to have. So we move to the question then, how then shall we live? And we start next week with the next round of podcast episodes to try to describe what living our faith might look like. Well, that's our program for today. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you found it helpful. uh, And uh, I hope you'll continue your journey with us here on UM's Connected. If you'd like to contact me about anything, you can do it by email at umsconnected at flumc.org. Tell others about UM's Connected so they can be part of the movement too.